Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson Part 3 My Shore Adventure Chapter 13 How My Shore Adventure Began The appearance of the island when I came on deck next morning was altogether changed. Although the breeze had now utterly ceased, we had made a great deal of way during the night and were now lying becalmed about half a mile to the southeast of the low eastern coast. Grey coloured woods covered a large part of the surface. This even tint was indeed broken by the, up by streaks of yellow sand breaking the lower lands by many tall trees of the pine family, out-topping the others, some singly, some in clumps, but a great colouring. The general colouring was uniform and sad. Hills ran up clear above the vegetation in spires of naked rock. All were strangely shaped of spy class, which was by three or four hundred feet the tallest on the island, likewise the strangest in configuration, running up sheer from almost every side and then suddenly cut off the top like a pedestal to put a statue on. The Spaniard was rolling scuppers under in the ocean swell. The booms were tearing at the blocks and rudder was banging to and fro, the whole ship creaking and rumbling and jumping like a manufactory. I had to cling tight to the back today, a well turned giddily before my eyes. Although I was a good enough sailor, when there was was way on, his standing still and being rolled about like a bottle was a thing I never learned to stand about coin or so above all in the morning on an empty stomach. Perhaps it says this, perhaps it was the look of the island. Its grey melancholy woods and wild stone spears, the surf that we could both see in the air foaming and thundering on a steep beach. This, although the sun shone bright and hot, shorebirds were fishing and crying all around us. You could, you would have thought anyone would have been glad to get a land, to land. After being so long at sea, my heart sank, as saying, as the saying is. And unto my boots from the first lot onward, I hated the very fault of Treasure Island. A dreary morning's work before us, but there was no sign of any wind, and the boats had to be got up out and manned the ship, walked three or four miles round the corner of the island, up the narrow patches to the haven behind Skeleton Island. I volunteered one of the boats where I had, of course, no business. He was thrilled when the men grumbled fiercely. Over their work, Anderson was in command of my boat. Instead of keeping the crew in order, he grumbled as loud as it was. Well, he said with oath, it's not forever. I thought this was a very bad sign, for up to that day, men had gone briskly, willingly about their business. The very sight of the island relaxed the call to discipline. All the way in, Long John stood by the steersman and conned the sh- ship. He knew the passage like the palm of his hand, though men and the chains got everywhere. More water than them down in the chart. John never hesitated once. There's a strong scour with the rib, he said, and there's an easier package. 
Bibbins dug out in a manner of speaking with a spade. Brought up just where the anchor was in the chart, about a third of a mile from each shore. Mayland on the third, one side and skeleton island on the other. Bottom was clear sand, a plunge of all. Anchors sent up clouds of birds wheeling and crying over the woods. In less than a minute, they were down again, and all were once small silence. A place of tiny lot land, buried in woods and trees coming high down to the high water mark. Shores mostly flat, hills top, tops standing around in at that distance. This sort of amphitheatre. So one here and one there. Two little rivers or rather two swamps. Emptied out into this pond, as you might call it. The foliage around the part of the shore had a kind of poisonous brightness. The ship we could see nothing of the house or stockade. They had been quite buried among the trees. If it had not been for the chart of a companion, it might have been the first that ever anchored there since the island arose out of the seas. There was not a breath of air moving, nor a sound, but that of the set of booming half a mile along the way, along the beaches and, and against the rocks outside. A peculiar stagnant smell hung over the anchorage, a smell of sudden leaves and rotting tree trunks. As though the doctor sniffing and sniffing, there's something, someone tasting a bad egg. Don't know about treasure, he said, but I stake my wig. There's fever here. The conduct of men had been alarming in the boat. It became truly frightening when they had come aboard. They about the deck, growling together and talk. The size order was received with a black look and gradually and carelessly obeyed. Even on his hands might have caught the infection. But there was not one man aboard to mend. Another, mutiny was plain, hung over us like a flunder cloud. But not only we of the cabin party who was perceived the danger, Long John was hard at work, going from group to group, spending himself in good advice, as for, as for example, no man could have shown a better. He fairly outstripped himself of willingness and civility. He was all smiles to everyone. If an order were given, John would be on his church in an instant with a curious eye, eye, sir. The Weldon, when there was nothing else to do, he kept up one song after another, as if to conceal the discontent of the rest. Of all the gloomy features of the, that gloomy afternoon, this obvious anxiety on part of Long John appeared the worst. He heard the council in the captain in the cabin. Sir, said the captain, we I ordered another order. Risk another order, the whole ship will come up about our ears by the run. You see, sir, here it is. I get a rough answer, do I not? Well, if I speak back, pikes will be going in two shakes. If I don't, silver would see there's something under that. Our game's up. Now we only one man to rely on. And who's that? asked the squire. Silver, sir, replied the turner captain. He's anxious as you and I to smother things up. This is Tiff. He should he soon talk them out of it if he had a chance. I propose to do is give him a chance. Let's allow the men an afternoon sure. They will go. Well, they'll fight the ship. If none of them go, well then we'll hold the cabin and guard defend the rent. If you go, some go, you mark my words, sir. Silver, bring aboard and get in his mother's lambs. It was so decided when the pistols were served out. All shore men, Hunter, Joyce, and Rofruf were taken 
into our confidence and received the news, the less surprise, the better spirit than we had better look for. Then the captain went on deck and addressed the crew. And that said he, about had a hot day and all tired, all and out of sorts, had turned ashore, heard nobody. The boats are still in the water. You can take the gigs as many as you as please. They go ashore for the afternoon, I bet, and fire a gun half an hour before sundown. I believe the city fellows might have thought they would break their shins over treasure as soon as they were they were landed. But they all came out of their sulks in a moment, gave a cheer that started the echo. Far away here was sent the birds once more flying and squalling round the anchorage. A captain was too bright to be in the way. He whipped out the sight for a moment, leaving Silver to range the party of fancy. It was as well as he did so. Had he been on deck, he could no longer so much have pretended not to be understand of the situation. Plain as day, Silver was captain, a mighty rebellious crew he had of it. On his hands, and I would soon have seen it proved there was there was such a world. Must have been very stupid fellows, or rather, I suppose the truth was this of all hands were disaffected by the example of right wing leaders. Only some more, some less, a few from being good fellows in the main could either be led nor driven any further. If no if one thing to be idle and sunk, and, and quite another to take a ship and murder a number of innocent men. At last, however, the party was made up. Six fellows would stay on board, as fairing thirteen, including Silver, again to embark. Then it was that there, then it was that there came in my head the first of mad notions that could to so much to save our lives. Six men taken by Silver, in plain our party, could not take the flight of the ship. And since only six were left, it was equally plain. The cabin party had no present need. My assistance occurred to me at once to go ashore. A jiffy, I slipped over, over the side, curled up the four sheets of the nearest boat, and almost at the same, same moment she shoved off. No one took notice of me, only the bowl of saying, Is that you, Jim? Keep your head down. The silver from the other boat. Looked sharply over and called out to know if it w- were me, and from that moment I began to regret what I had done. The crew raced for the breach, but the boat I was in, having some start, being at once lighter and better man, shot far ahead of the consort and bow, was struck among the side trees. I had caught a branch and swung myself out and plunged the nearest frigate. Both Silver and the rest were still a hundred yards behind. Jim, Jim, I heard him shouting, but you may suppose I paid no heed. Jumping and ducking, breaking through, I ran straight before my nose till I could run no longer. <laughs>